0: Let's take our Bible stand, please, if you want 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're glad that you're here tonight. We have a book we want all of you to get before you leave tonight, it's uh, one per married couples, but everyone else can get one, I want you to get one of those, and uh, that'll be a blessing if you can get one of those books, to be a blessing for you, just to encourage you tonight. 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to read verses 1. And i tell you what we're going to do tonight. Uh, I'm going to read the odd number verse. I'm going to ask you to read the even number verse. And you know the, you know the line. And when I want you to read, I want you to read very loudly and clearly so you are annoying to the person next to you. Amen. So I'm going to read verse 1. Then you guys read to verse 2. And then we'll end at verse 8. I'll read verse 8 together with you, okay? Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Congregation? Notice verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. All congregation. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God... For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Altogether, he therefore that despises, despises not man, but God, who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. I'll call your attention to verse 4. There's a phrase there that God uses that uh, I want us to kind of focus on a little bit tonight. In verse 4, it says that every one of you should know how to possess, notice, his vessel tonight I want to talk about holy vessels and God that relates to our lives this evening, and uh, we 're just praying God that God tonight will speak to us and help us just to really just take account of our lives and making sure we understand the boundaries that God has placed in our lives and we live within those boundaries father tonight we 're so good to see your people here, and I pray that as we 've read the scriptures, we could actually dismiss and go home because Lord, we just know that reading your word and being your presence is, is all that it takes for our lives, but we also know that we need the Word of God expounded to us tonight to feed our souls and refresh us and I I pray, whether it be man or woman or married or single, I pray that tonight that, God, you'll have your way in our lives and help us understand the principles of moral purity and setting boundaries in our lives and staying within those boundaries for the glory of God. Father, we pray tonight that you stir our hearts, help those who are suffering through perhaps seasons of temptation and uh, perhaps pressures from the devil and from the world. I pray that, God, tonight they'd find victory in Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you for what you'll do for us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's a vase called the Chinese Qinlong Vase. It was sold at an auction not too long ago. And this vase, if you look at it, I mean, I'm I'm careful of any kind of vase, but after I found out what price this vase sold for, I, I, I don't even think I'd want to get within five feet of it. But the Qinlong vase sold for $53 million at an auction. Now, I don't know about you, man, we could use $53 million right here at the church, amen, you know? And, uh, but that vase sold for $53 million, and the collector who took it is taking very good care of it. It's an 18th century vase. It was, it was uh, named after the Qing dynasty, the emperor of the Qing dynasty. It's about 16 inches tall, so it's not very big. And it's, as you can tell, it's very elaborately decorated. And, uh, but when we look at that, it is an incredible vase that is worth a lot of money. The second most expensive vase is one that was, was, uh, was, was made in the Ming Dynasty that sold for $22.6 million. You know, picking up and handling one of those vases adds new meaning to the term, fragile, handle with care. Amen? I, I don't know about you, I'd hate to be the Amazon driver that would have to deliver that if I broke it. I mean, that'd be a real bad thing there on that. But, uh, but these vessels are very expensive and to be taken care of very, very well. Notice in our verse tonight, we're looking at the matter of vessels. <coughs> Your vessel, my vessel, our bodies, our lives are called vessels. Would you notice this tonight as we look at our preliminary? <coughs> the word vessel is found 23 times in the New Testament. It has the idea of an apparatus, an instrument, an instrument. Or something we would call a common vessel. It is used to describe, if you want, in 1 Peter 3.7, the role of a wife in relation to the contribution she makes to her husband. 1 Peter 3.7 says, And you you husbands, that uh, you should know how to dwell with your wives according to knowledge, uh, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. (coughs) The word vessel is used by Paul in first second Timothy two, verses twenty twenty one, where he speaks of vessels of gold and of silver and wood and of earth and vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. The word dishonor is a kind of an interesting word. It's literally the base most basis usage of a of a vessel there. In Second uh, Corinthians 4, 6, Paul says this, that we have this treasure, that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in earthen vessels. He compares our lives, our bodies, as to clay, pottery, or clay vessels there. A vessel is a container that you hold something into. Ladies can especially appreciate that if they have vases in their home, or pots, or pottery there. Elisha told the widow of the son of the prophet, a widow, her, her husband had passed away, and she was without money, and the debtors, the creditors came to collect on them. And so they said, we're going to take your sons away and and put them into bondage so you can pay off your debt. And she didn't know what to do. And she cried out to Elisha. And Elisha's remedy for her, he said, go to your neighbors. Go borrow vessels. Borrow not a few. And uh, you know, I've I've preached on that message several times before. But we've said how vessels is a picture of our lives. I have this thought I want to give you tonight as we think about our lives as vessels. We don't have a thousand lives to give, but we should be compelled to give our life a thousand times. Amen? And I think that's just a thought in terms of our giving of our life. Now the idea of vessels i said earlier refers to our bodies what we do with our bodies determines our spiritual outcome as a christian what you do with your bodies determines your spiritual outcome as a christian you follow Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and you present your bodies a living sacrifice before God to be in the will of God. It's amazing how God can use you. If you don't, your, your outcome will be less. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. First Corinthians chapter 6 gives an entire section there dealing with the fact that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The moment we got saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and he sets our bodies apart as a temple. That's just kind of a, an astounding thought that God would call our bodies a temple or a tabernacle in which he would dwell in. Paul, in writing to these believers of Thessalonica, is giving them a command concerning the right use of their bodies. He, uh, he did this, this similarly at, when he wrote his letters to Colossae, at Corinth, at Ephesus, at Galatia, at Rome, to Timothy and Titus. It seems the recurring theme we find throughout the New Testament is about this matter of moral purity, about the right usage of your body, of guarding your life and being careful of the temptations around us. Tonight, I want you to notice from the verses 1 to 8, as you read tonight, that the overtone what Paul's emphasizing this evening. Something that's not preached on perhaps enough and uh, perhaps not often enough is on the matter of moral or personal purity of the Christian. Tonight we want to look at holy vessels. I want you to notice three things tonight. Number one, would you notice with me the rule, the rule that God gives us. Verses one to four, the rule concerning this. Notice in verses one and two, Paul said this to these believers as he continues where he left off in, in chapter three, verse 13. He said in verse one, furthermore, that is continuing on where we left off. Furthermore, then, we beseech you. We beg you. We implore you. We beg of you. We beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. He was not exhorting or beseeching them in his name. He was beseeching them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we shift out of chapter 3, Paul's concern for the discipleship, the discipleship of these believers, and we shift into chapter 4, we see that Paul kind of steps up his emphasis, and you can tell that maybe even the tone of his voice has increased a little bit here. And he says, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Now, that's a key thought as we go through chapter 4 there, because he said, I've already explained to you, I've already told you how you should walk and please God. Now, by the way, let me just say this tonight. Those two things are inseparable. Walking, pleasing God. Amen? You can't, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to please God. If you're going to please God, you've got to walk with God. So the two are inseparable. He said, you have received of us. You heard from me. You heard from Timothy. And I'm going to reinforce this back again to you. He said that you have heard from me how you should walk and please God so you would abound more and more. He's saying here, don't stop. Don't stagnate of what you've heard before. I want you to keep progressing and keep growing in the Christian faith. I want you to More and more. And he said in verse two, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now, as we look at these verses, the phrases that jump out to us are about this matter of walking and pleasing God, and then in verse two, the commandments he gave them. Now we're not told how many commandments, we're not told exactly what the commandments are. I think we can get a pretty good idea what commandments he gave them as we read through First Thessalonians, and he's just telling them the word of God there. And so you notice here he's leaving off from verse thirteen of the previous chapter. Let's go back there. And in chapter 3, verse 13, we see this as part of a prayer that Paul is making for them. In chapter 3, verse 13, he says, To the end, he says, As you get to the end of your journey, to the end that he that is God may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. He was saying there as we ended last week that his prayer for them is that they would stand confidently before the Lord Jesus Christ if he was to come during our lifetime. He says, I don't want you to be ashamed before him at his coming. I want you to be found presentable before the Lord there. And so now as we get into chapter 4, verse 22, as we said earlier, he's begging and pleading with them that they should walk and please God. He's telling them, you know, you, I want you to live for God. He's saying, I want you to think about everything you heard and everything preached to you. Let me just give a side thought on that tonight as we're working through this in the introduction. That's why you should be in the preaching services at church because at the preaching service of the church, preaching services at our club meetings, preaching services, we have Bible studies. God has helped us understand how we're to walk and please God. They're inseparable. When we learn doctrine, we learn how to apply doctrine. We learn how the, the, the relevancy of doctrine to our life. But as we read the word of God, we study, we learn how to walk and to please God. God doesn't want us to have our heads filled with knowledge. God wants to put in action what we hear. And so he's telling us here that we should walk and please God. We're being exhorted that our, our, everything we do is pleasing to God. God is pleased when we exercise exercise faith and God is pleased when we walk in the spirit then in verse 2 he says you know what commandments we gave you now that's kind of an interesting thought when you think about it because you know it'd be a good exercise for us as we sit through a church service as we read the bible as is being preached to us of just taking note what commandments did we hear because they're invariably commandments we read and they're commandments that God expects us to obey commandments were not given to us as an option commandments were given us to obey amen I mean we're to obey the word of God in that in that in that sense there think with me about this tonight <coughs> Paul told Titus, he said, Tell those, those, those people at Crete not to give heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. You know, there's a tendency that, that we can be so caught up that we, we're more, we're, we, we obey the traditions of men. we obey, perhaps we're more, more in line with the constitution of a church than we are in line with the commandments of the Word of God. And he told Titus, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Now listen Titus, we think about God's commandments, and that's what we're going to see tonight, some commandments of God. God's commandments are pure, enlightening the eyes, Psalms 19.8 says. God's commandments are faithful, Psalms 119, verse 86. God's God's commandments are truth, Psalms 119, verse 151. God's commandments are righteousness, Psalms 119, verse 176. God's commands are God's rules for our life. They are guidelines for our life. God's commandments set boundaries for us. Boundaries are not bad. Boundaries help us not to wade into danger. You know, it's like, a, like if you go to a, 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 you know, a swimming area, they may, they, may put a, they may put a boundary there so children can distinguish the shallow end from the deep end. You know, you have, you have signs up so you don't cross somewhere you're not supposed to be. God's commands are his rules for his life. Now, what are those rules we're going to see tonight? I want you to notice in verse three, two, three, and four, we see two of those rules. Number one, would you notice in verse three? The rule concerning the will of God. Now I don't know why, but somehow the devil has, has played for years and making people get scared and apprehensive about God's will. And we shouldn't be that way, because as you'll see my definition tonight, the will of God is God's strategic plan for our lives. Amen? It's God's strategic plan for all Now, listen. If you, if you were, if you were, a, let's just say there was a company that was, that was struggling. A corporation was struggling. And the board of directors went out to do a search to find someone, a CEO or, or a president to take the place of the one they had before to fill it. They want to, they, you're going to want to know as you step in there, if you're the one that they, they decide upon or they're the one, you're the one being interviewed, they're going to want to know what your strategic plan is for the church. I mean for that organization. They want to know what do you have in mind? How are you going to get that accomplished? You want to know if there's a problem, what's the plan to get it done? What's the plan of action? Notice here in verse three, he says, for this is the will of God. God's will is God's strategic plan for our life. Now, we need to get on board with God to say, God, what's your plan for my life? What do you want me to do? By the way, God's plan for our life, it's his best for our life. I wrote down in our notes. It should be in your notes tonight. God's, the will of God is God's custom design best for your life. Whatever God's will is for you, it is his best for your life. You're not going to go wrong with that. It's custom design. The will of God is God's optimal director for your life. You know, young people, you're struggling. People that are, that are single are struggling about, where should I be in my life? Where should I go for my career? career, uh, what should I study, all And those are all noble things. And I would be the first to tell you, get as much knowledge as you can. But don't get to the place where you're acquiring so much knowledge that you're outside the will of God. Knowledge can, can blind you from seeing what the will of God is. Your first foremost goal is saying, Lord, show me Direct me, lead me, impress upon me what your will is for my life. And so tonight, God has a will for everyone. Tonight, if you're struggling, I want to assure you tonight, God has a will for everyone. And tonight, your most important goal you should have is to know what God's will is for your life. It doesn't matter if you're 60, it doesn't matter if you're 15. God has a will for every person's life. God has something He wants you to do. So I'm going to give you some of those things tonight that you can understand. Number one, God's will is that you're saved. God's will is that you're saved. Notice First Timothy 2.4, who will have all men to be saved. If you're not saved tonight, you better get saved. Amen? I, w- I would not be somebody playing church and saying, well, I, I wanted to impress my friend and- or I wanted to- I don't- I'm afraid of telling somebody that I'm not saved. Listen, you've got to come to the realization if- that if you don't get saved, you're going to spend all of eternity in hell. It's God's will that you get saved. Hey, number two, it's God's will that you live in submission. Now, that submission is a hard word because nobody, nobody, our, our human nature resists. Our human nature is disobedience. We don't want to follow rules. We don't want to follow what's going on. But we must submit because that's what God is that designed for our life. God has designed spiritual authority for your life and mine. I'm just going to give you a couple. Number one, under the matter of submission, there's the spiritual authority of the local church and the pastor of your church. You need to be under that authority. That is God's ordained authority. You follow Hebrews 13, 7. It tells you that you're to remember them that have the rule over you, whose faith you're to follow you're to be under that rulership now the moment you can't follow that you're, you're, out of, you're out of the will of God when we're not in submission you're out of the will of God hey listen to this we, we have the we're to be under the authority of the laws of the land read Hebrews, uh, Romans 13 we're being the authority of the laws of the land. As long as the laws do not conflict with the Word of God, when it conflicts with the Word of God, then you have to be like Peter and say, "We must obey God rather than men." And I'm not teaching civil obedience, but if you if you have been paying attention, you need to go you need to go get up on the get up on there a little bit and find out what's going on in the assembly up there in the Senate and some of the bills, the crazy bills that are being authored and being passed, and things that are uh, that are that, that are anti that are unbiblical and anti-family and and uh, things of that nature. I said this Sunday night. I make no apology for this. You know, California. California is one of the most taxed states we have, and then you have not the most taxed state. I mean, there's taxes on everything. You think with me tonight? Wherever there's a sales tax, for every dollar you spend on a consumer item, where there's a sales tax, you're paying an extra 10 cents more. If you spent if you spent $20,000 last year on on consumable items, you also added another $2,000 in taxes. Wherever it goes, God only knows where that's going. Amen. you know, I'm just saying tonight there's a lot of things that go on with that, and it, a lot of that happens because citizens are not taking a stand and writing and opposing things that are that are not the right thing there. I'm not saying. We shouldn't have taxes. I think there's a right place for it, but you have to ask yourself the question, how are you gonna spend it? Give me some accountability. Show me how you're spending the money there. But I'm just saying tonight, we're to be in the authority of that. Now, in a few weeks, we're gonna have, have our first responders here, and we're gonna have the Alameda County sheriffs here, and I'm thankful for that, and the San Leandro police, and we hope a few other agencies are coming there. You know what? We're to be an authority to those men. We're to be an authority to, our, to the highway patrolmen who, who man our highways. We're to be an authority under the Alameda County Fire Department. We're to be in under their authority. They are vested with authority. They are God's ordained powers for your life and mine. By the way, the key thought there is they're, of God, they're ordained of God. Wives are to submit to the spiritual leadership of the husband, but the husband is to be in submission to God. Amen? So I'm just saying tonight, then children are to submit to the authority of their parents. I mean, God has designed life that we have spiritual authority that we'll be under. Now, here our problem is, is that we, we, don't, we don't want to be under authority. We want to do our own thing. We want to be maverick in what we do. Well, that's fine. Maverick is okay if you want to, if you want to be your own thing. But it's not okay if you're going to live for God. You've got to be in submission for God. Notice another thing. God's will is that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the way, God doesn't force us. He comes to us by his mercies. Amen. His divine pities, his love for us. I beseech you by the mercy of God. You have to read all of Romans 1, uh, chapter 1 to chapter 11 to realize God's mercy, how terrible sin is and how what Christ died for our sins and how, how Paul was so dis- longing for all of Israel to get saved because they rejected the truth. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, they offered a sacrifice that they killed, Uh, like a burnt sacrifice to represent the dedication of the believer. They offered a dead sacrifice. They had to repeat that. You give a living sacrifice, you're giving yourself. You're giving your all. You're giving your best to God. God calls upon us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now listen, after you get baptized... You get saved, you get baptized to show your obedience to the Lord. Your next step you ought to take in the Christian life is to present your body a living sacrifice. Listen, you don't have to go to a a youth camp or a family camp to present your body a living sacrifice. When when we get the preacher up there for after four days of preaching, you decide I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice. You ought to do that the moment the Word of God is preached. You ought to just realize it's a privilege to give my life to God, give it back to God and say, Lord, use me for your glory. By the way, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. Amen? It's a privilege to have one more day to have a breath from God to serve him there. And so he says, we're to present our body a living sacrifice. Notice, holy. That takes us back to what we're reading tonight in 1 Thessalonians 4. Holy. Now God tells you, as you present your body, bring it to him cleansed. That's why when we read about the, 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 the bird sacrifice that were given, the, the, the lamb that was offered, the animals offered, had to be an unblemished animal. It was a picture of holiness. You come with your sins confessed and cleanse and under the blood of Christ, acceptable unto God. By the way, God never turns anybody away, He presents his body, a living sacrifice. He says that's our reasonable service. That's our reasonable service. He says, it's not rocket science for you to figure this out. I'm not asking you to do something that's difficult. I'm not asking you to do something that's going to deprive you from your joy. And all. He says, no, I'm not doing that. And he said in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. We don't have time to get into all that. I'm just saying tonight that we must understand that it is God's will that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. It is God's will that you serve the Lord. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. Ephesians 6, notice the verses there. Not with I services mentally. Don't don't enlist a sir because you're trying to get someone's attention. But it's the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. It's God's will that we serve Him. Now you need to evaluate today: Are you serving God somewhere in church? You ought to have at least one ministry you're serving. You ought to have something you volunteer for. If you're not involved in something, when we ask for volunteers, you should be among the first to say, hey, I volunteer. I'm ready. I'm available. Here am I, Lord. Use me. We ought to have that spirit and attitude there. He says in verse 7, with good will, doing services to the Lord and not to men. Hey, by the way, it's God's will that we're so winners. Amen. John 15, 16. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear food. And the bearing food is talking about when he sows and that your food should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, that he may give you. Hey, by the way, did you know tonight it's God's will that we go through suffering? This afternoon, I took a moment to call Brother Dan Garlick, our, 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 our missionary we support. He's the founder of La Spada Ministries, and he's an evangelist down in, in Latin America. And uh, Brother Garlic was diagnosed just a couple weeks ago with pancreatic cancer, a very advanced form of, of pancreatic cancer. If you know anything about pancreatic cancer, when you get that, you go very quickly. And uh, his is very, very unique because where, where the tumor's at, it's interwoven around all these blood vessels and nerves and all those things there. And the doctors can't operate unless this thing shrinks down. And so they're, they, they told him they're going uh, to start chemotherapy treatment for him to hope, in the hopes that it'll shrink it down. And I asked Brother Garlick, I said, how are you doing? He says, miserable but rejoicing. I thought that's a good phrase, miserable but rejoicing. Amen? We had prayer this afternoon. I was praying for him. I was asking God. I just said, Brother Garlic, I'm just gonna ask. I'm going to ask God to heal you. I'm asking God that His mind, His will, would be to heal you. And I prayed for God to come down and meet with that man there. But you know, we reminded ourselves that it's God's will for us to go through suffering. Look at 1 Peter four nineteen says, "Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God." By the way, God knows how much you can take. Wherefore let him that suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I'm just saying tonight that we see all these different things. And I can give you several more about what's God's will. But notice this tonight. It's God's will that you get saved. It's God's will that you're in separation, that, that, that you're in submission. It's God's will that you present your body living sacrifice. It's God's will that you serve. It's God's will that you win souls. It's God's will that we go through suffering. But it's also God's will that we are sanctified. Look at verse 3 again. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's one of God's rules for our lives. Sanctification. Notice we see letter A, rule number one is the will of God. Rule number two is personal sanctification. We're not talking about the sanctification of a church. We're talking about the sanctification of the believer. Now, sanctification, you'll find here, the word sanctification and the word holiness are synonymous with each other. They're the same underlying root word. In fact, it's the same word that, that where we get the word saint from. Let me just throw this out here tonight. Did you know that you're a saint the moment you got saved? You don't have to wait for some hierarchy to decide, okay, well, let's see if he met all the criteria. They start checking up some lists 500 years from now. You don't have to worry about that. You're a saint the moment you got saved. The word saint is the same word we get our word holiness from. You're set apart to God. You see, the pagans back in their day used that same, same Greek word to describe their, their how people that were, the, these, these prostitutes and people that were dedicated to the service of their idols. And so Paul said, you know what? I'm going to take a good word and I'm going to change that word and apply it to the Christian and faith and tell every believer that's what you are to Jesus Christ. And so watch this tonight. When we look at this word, this word sanctification, you'll notice in verses 4 to 8, sanctification and holiness, it's used three times in this passage. Three times in eight verses. God wanted us to get something here tonight about sanctification. And it's easiest, simplest uh, definition. Sanctification could be defined as being set apart. But it's more than that. This word sanctification and holiness that's used in verses four to eight 1 to 8 are only used 10 times in the New Testament. Of those ten times, as you look at each usage, it's referring specifically to the matter of moral or personal purity. Now, that's something that somehow we've gotten away from. There was a time and day in Christianity, per- personal purity, moral purity was preached on much more. For whatever reason, we're not doing enough of that tonight. I just felt like tonight as we're in our series of just going uh, doing expositional study and preaching through the Word of God, we needed to take some time to look at this. Now, notice this here, this word sanctification. He says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, Comma. Sanctification means being set apart for God. Sanctification means that you're, you're, you're to be a vessel of honor to God. And then, comma after that, he gives the specific to what we're to be sanctified or separated from. He says that, ye, then notice in verse 3, he says that ye should have saved from fornication. Now remember this, in holiness... In separation, in holiness, sanctification, separation, we must always remember this. We must remember what we're separating to or being holy to and what we're being separated and holy from. We're moving from something to something else. So in this case here, he's saying here that you should abstain from fornication. Now we're going to define some words here for a minute. But go back with me here to this matter of this word sanctification here. I talked about in the introduction tonight about the qinlong vase. The Chinlong vase sold at an auction for $53 million. It is rare. Whoever owns that vase has set it apart. It is, it is, they're going to be very careful who holds that vase, amen? They're going to be very careful who moves that vase. In fact, whatever insurance they have, I'm almost certain if they even have it insured, if it's insured, they probably have to go to Lloyd's of London to get a specialty contract on that because no normal insurance carrier would want to insure that thing. Can you imagine just dropping that and, and giving somebody a check for $53 million for that? I don't think they would do that. And so they go to Lloyd's of London, and Lloyd's of London basically goes out to all these other insurance companies. They get a pool of companies to together reinsure this thing there. That's probably what they did. It probably has a high deductible associated with that so that if the person did do that, they would be responsible for the first umpteen thousands of dollars for that, whatever it be. But I want you to notice That vase was very rare and set apart. Notice our bodies. God considers us more valuable than a chin-long vase. Amen? God considers us more valued than a bar of gold. God considers you and and me, our lives, much more valuable and much more important than any of that there. In the midst of an immoral, defiling, and perverted society, Paul was strongly exhorting these believers to live a life that was sanctified or morally pure. Notice again in verse 4. He says that you should, he says in verse 3, that you should, uh, that this is the will of God, even your sanctification. In verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. In verse 7, for God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now, Jerry Bridges wrote a book entitled The Pursuit of Holiness. It was written many years ago. It's still a good book if you can get it, okay? Because I would tell you, he's got, he just, you can tell this man prayed over what he wrote, and it just, it gives us some great insights about God and holiness there. But he made the statement, He says, but God has not called us to be like those around us. He has called us to be like himself. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. Now, the goal in Christianity is to be like Christ. If we're going to be like Christ, that demands holiness. That demands that we are more in his image. We are looking in the mirror of God's word. And by the way, mirrors never lie. Amen. Mirrors always tell us what exactly what is seen. And we need to recognize tonight that what we need to do is when we look in the mirror, we see less of us and more of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what the mirror ought to be, be, be beholding there. Now notice, our sanctification tonight is our calling. God has not called us in verse 7 unto uncleanness, but to holiness. Now, I don't have time to do this, but you need to look up the word uncleanness because it is, it, the, 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 the meaning behind the word uncleanness is very strong very strong it means filthy it means it means defiled it means contaminated it means it means just really really bad i mean you could catch something bad from it and he says god has not called us to uncleanness now he's saying there when you got saved god did not save you to go back into the filth of the world god did not save us to in the garbage pit of the world God saved us to live unto the holy, our goal that we're aiming for is to be more like the Lord. We have to remind ourselves we're to be separated from filthy and defiling practices. That is our calling. So, you know, when, when the Calvinists get all excited about election, they don't get really excited about holy living. And I just say tonight, when we look at election, I'll just say tonight, if you're struggling with Calvinism, election is a position. It's your position in Jesus Christ. It, it has nothing to do with your salvation. God already knows who's going to be saved. Election is predicated uh, election is predicated upon God's foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge, that's found in 1 Peter chapter 1. God already knows who's going to get saved. But listen, an election, listen, you are set apart for God. You are something special to God. That person who bought the chin-long vase, that became their election. They bought it and brought it to themselves. That became something special to them. But they had to buy it first, sir, okay? Now you made a choice and decision to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. As you did so, you need to realize that you're not living the same old life. You have a calling of God that is far above whatever you have. You say, well, I might have a calling as a lawyer, and I might have a calling as a doctor, and I might have a calling as a bicycle racist, and those are all good things. But I want to say tonight, your calling tonight that's higher above all those things is your calling as a Christian. Your calling as a Christian is to be one that is holy. Notice something with me tonight, if you would. Go with me to Acts chapter 11. I just want you to see this for a moment. Acts chapter 11. This is not in your notes, but I want you to see this tonight. Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, we start in verse 22. We see God, God just uh, bring into fruition the church at Antioch. I love preaching this passage of Scripture. And the church in Antioch was just growing. There were some people that heard the gospel down at Jerusalem. And they, 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 they went back to their area of Antioch. And they started telling folks about Christ. And people started getting saved. And that's just New Testament Christianity. I mean, you know, my, my prayer is that if God leaves people away from this church, maybe somewhere else they have to move for occupational purpose or whatever, I pray that they'll just be as fervent about the gospel. I think, again, about my good friend, Dr. Lorena. He's had, he's had thousands of people saved at Christian Bible Baptist Church in San Pedro. It's amazing. They have started close to 200 works. All of those works were started were by people that got relocated somewhere, like places like, like in Taiwan and places in Thailand. And, and he's got a bunch of members now, former members are now in Hong Kong and people here in the United States. And they just got a burden for a church like what they got saved in. And they started praying for God to do something. And they, they just decided, you know what, they're gonna keep telling people about Christ. And they contacted Dr. Lorena, a said, preacher, they said, pastor, we, we can you help us start a church there? And he basically would tell them, how many of you are there? They'd say, five, why don't you start meeting at home? He says, right, what you'll do this, I want you to have some hymnals. We'll give you hymnals. You start singing some hymns. And he says, what you're going to do is say, Well, here's the timeline. Here's what time our church starts preaching service. I want you to zoom in, zoom in on us. I want you to get 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 live stream and watch our service. And they've grown churches in Taiwan, for instance. They've grown their church without a preacher. They're just watching him preach on live stream. And then when they started to mature, they just kept on when he sows. And when he sows, and preacher would go over there and he would meet with them. He'd have a one week revival and preach them. And then he'd get them baptized and get, the, get them organized. And he charted the church and and then eventually he raised up a man who'd be the preacher. But all these new works you're watching by live stream. Hey, it's a good thing when you're so fervent for God that you take your faith where you're at and you share with other people like they did here in Antioch and people get saved. Well, it started to explode and word got back to Jerusalem. The leaders down at Jerusalem, pastors down there, they say, hey, we better go check this out. And they said something good's happened here. And they started praying about it. We better send the right man there. There's a lot of men we could send, but we better send the right man. Amen. The right man happened to be Barnabas. Barnabas had the right heart for them. <laughs> Barnabas went there, and the Bible says, and when he got there, that he saw the grace of God. And he said, God's grace was working. You see, these were new Christians on fire from God. They didn't get corrupted by some older Christians who weren't winning souls. Amen? And they got just out there and just winning souls for Christ. And the Bible says that he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. When he ordered them all, that with purpose of heart, they would cleave to the Lord. And God added more souls. Well, Paul, Barnabas got to the place. And he says, man, this is too big for me. I've got to get some workers. I've got to get some helpers. And he started praying about who to get. And God put in his heart a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Now you've got to bear in mind, God's working this because Saul of Tarsus is, is in this place where he's just serving God, but he's not in a place where God wants to be because going back to Acts chapter 9, God wanted Saul of Tarsus to be, to be the one who spread the gospel among, among the Gentiles, but they, they weren't at that place yet and he needed more discipling and he needed more maturing and Barnabas was the man who had the temper that could work with Paul because if you know anything about Paul, Paul was type A. I mean, he was just a very, he was a very high-strung personality and he was very intense about what he did there and so he got around Barnabas and notice the says. Says in verse twenty-six, and Acts chapter eleven, verse twenty-six. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. He said, "Listen, would you let me train you? Would you let me disciple you? Or let me show you the ropes here." And together they're serving in Antioch. And the Bible says it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Now I want you to notice this tonight. I want you to see the phenomenal change, transformation, spiritual growth that happened in one year. And I'm going to tell you that tonight because I want to challenge you to give yourself a chart for the next 12 months. How are you going to be different one year from now? Amen. And you notice here in verse 26, he says, And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. You know that's telling me, Brother AJ? People came to church. People got to church. They didn't differentiate what's well, Wednesday and it's not Sunday. It didn't matter. If the doors were open, they came to church. And they assembled themselves there. And the Bible says there was much people in church. Hey, you know what pleases God? Much people in church. Yeah. You know what honors God? When God's people get decide, they're going to have some fat stamina. And they're not going to worry about dinner. They're not going to worry about getting an hour or less of sleep. They're just going to get to church and be under the preaching of God's word. And so they came. And the Bible says, notice I love this in verse 26. And the disciples, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, of all the astounding things I could tell you about tonight, I think one of those astounding things, why they were called Christians, little Christ, is because they were living in holiness. You don't find anywhere here in Acts 11, in Acts 13, where Paul has to keep reemphasizing, or that he's going back there and reemphasizing holy living, even though I know they did. He doesn't have to remind them of that. Hey, listen, all throughout the first century, there were pressures that everyone had. And he's telling them here, he says here, listen, they were so living for God, they were so under the word of God, obeying God's word, that they realized that they could be called Christians. so would you notice our sanctification is a calling, but notice our sanctification is our conduct. And go back with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians. In verse 3, he says that you should abstain. Refuse. Refrain from fornication. Fornication is found 26 times in the New Testament. Fornication covers all aspects of immorality. Deviant behavior, if you know what I mean. Immorality. Most often, if you study the book of 1 Corinthians... It's strong reference to male prostitution, homosexual behavior. You get in Romans chapter 1 Corinthians 6 is pretty strong there. And he says here, he says, It's the will of God to abstain from fornication. Immorality is going beyond the boundaries God has established for our purity. God has established sex, but sex belongs in marriage. It doesn't belong anywhere outside of that. God has his boundaries. God designed it for that. But we must understand something today. When you, walk, when you were born in this world, you were born with flesh that is susceptible to temptation. And with those temptations, there's this pull, this, this, as we'll see here in a minute in verse 5, this lust of concupiscence that tries to pull us away from God and pull us from what's right there. Immoral behavior is committed first in our hearts and then with our bodies. God's will is that each of us lives a morally pure life. God's will is that each of us lives a morally pure life. Listen to this tonight. I want you to listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. A faith which works not for purification will work for putrefaction. That's a great thought. Unless our faith makes us pine after holiness, it is no better than the faith of devils, and perhaps it is not even so good as that. A holy man is the workmanship of the Holy Spirit. And I say amen to that. Tozer said this. Now, Tozer had a great lot of great thoughts on, on holiness and getting close to God. He was a Calvinist. I'll just tell you that right now. And there's some things about Tozer I wouldn't follow, but I like like his his heart about just just his heart for God. And he said this, No man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his efforts in seeking to know and do the will of God, leaving to Christ the matter of how happy he should be. Now, I could go off for the next hour and talk about what I just mentioned in verse 3. I'm not going to do that. Because everyone in this room... You hit a point in your life, and if you're an adult, you know this, that there is this matter of knowing that you could be out of the will of God by crossing a boundary and living immorality. I could tell you right now tonight, and I'm not going to, of people I've known individually, people I've been close to, people I've prayed with, people I've won souls together with. I mean, say, 47 years that fell to immorality. And I'm going to tell you tonight, if you're a man boasting that that won't ever happen to me, sir, it's about to happen to you. If you you think that you're immune from it, you're kidding yourself. And ladies, if you feel the same way, you're kidding yourself. The devil's smarter than you about that matter. And your flesh is weaker than you really know. And you better be very careful. You singles that are, that are kind of seeing each other, you need to be very careful. Because that's why, you know, and it's amazing. I'm just going to throw this out there, Pastor AJ and, and, and uh, the staff here. It's amazing. We try to encourage our singles and our young people to have certain rules you follow for courting. And it's amazing the number of people that rebel against it and just say, well, I'm not going to follow them. I'm going to do what I want to do. Man, I understand. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, not going to be giving jurisdiction about what goes on outside there. But you know what? You, you, God sees that stuff. Amen. Amen. God sees that. Amen. You may not like me, but you better notice something. You're going to be accountable to God for that stuff. Amen. And so tonight we see the rule. The rule in verse three and four is the will of God in our personal sanctification. Number two, I want you to notice the risk. Everyone here tonight has a risk of moral failure. That's why Paul wrote this. Listen, if you lived in the first century, you lived in that first century in the Roman Empire, every man, every man, I hate to say this because we have a little cheer. every man had a prostitute he met up with. It was expected when a woman got married, it was expected her husband was going to be cheating on the side anyway. It was expected to have multiple affairs. And we're not just talking about physically, we're talking about emotionally. And we're looking at this, this whole matter there where just everything that revolved in the religious world and, in the, and, and, and commerce and people traveling, they were susceptible to all these temptations. Listen, if you're a mom and dad, I mean, listen, you, you ought to be worried and concerned to death about choices your children make because when they're young and, and their hormones are raging, listen, they're, they're at where you were at when you were 14, 15, and 16. And they're at great risk. And listen tonight, I don't care who you are, you and I are at great risk. I don't care how many hours you prayed and I don't care how much Bible you've read, you're still at great risk. And so tonight, I want you to see these risks. Notice in verses four, four and five how we're vulnerable. Paul said, I'm writing this, that you might know the will of God for your life, that every one of you, he's writing to men and women, boys and girls, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. That's a key thought. How to possess his vessel. His container. That every man should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now every one of us is vulnerable to the pull of lust. Lust is like a vacuum, a strong vacuum is pulling you into it. James said it this way, in defining lust, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth thee any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away, listen to this, of his own lust, now listen to that phrase, his own lust, every man in this room, every one in this room, you have your own pressure points. It doesn't matter how strong you are. You have your pressure. You know, the, the devil will get to you. Every man is drawn away of his own lust. You just wait that day you didn't, those days you didn't pray. And that day you're in the flesh. And the day you've got a lot going on. And the day you've been away from home too long. And the day you, if you've ignored your spiritual responsibility. You've been away from You just wait till the pull starts pulling on you real strong there. And the Bible says in verse 14, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and testing. let me encourage you tonight. You ought to memorize these verses tonight. If you don't have it memorized, you need to memorize it tonight. That when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. Listen, concupiscence, he's talking about, notice here, he's talking about we should not possess our vessel of sanctification. And honor. Then notice in verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence. Now, concupiscence means, he basically means cravings and desires that are out of control. I mean, crazy lust. Not in the lust of concupiscence. He's, he's, giving, it, he's giving some, uh, this word concupiscence is using a way to define how strongly the lust can be pulling you. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Notice and he compares this, even as the Gentiles which know not God. You know he's saying that whole society they lived in were pagans. Because the word Gentiles, the word ethnos, it means the, the, the people groups out there. Basically, everybody lived in concupiscence. Everybody did it. That's why they used to say, do like the Corinthians. To be, to, if you were called a Corinthian, basically it meant that you were living in immorality. That was either considered a compliment or it was considered a, an insult to you, depending on who you were. Reynald III was a 14th century duke in Belgium. Reynald was given a nickname, which is the name Crassus. Now, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it basically meant he was grossly overweight. He had a feud with his brother, younger brother, Edward. And Edward let a successful revolt against him, and Edward basically took took Raynaud and put him in this, in this chamber. But he reconfigured this chamber. We reconfigured the windows and the door framing. And whereas a normal man like a man that, you know, kind of like Edward or myself could walk through that, he designed it so Reynold could not escape from the room. And he knew Reynolds. He knew Reynolds' weaknesses, and so every day he would, just, he would send lots and lots of food to Reynold. He knew Reynold had, had an insatiable desire for eating. He loved eating. He just kept on eating and was not very good at exercising and things like that and watching his diet. And, and uh, he kept sending him food and doing that. But he told Raynaud, any anytime you want to get out, all you've got to do is walk through that door. But Reynold couldn't fit through the door. And I don't mean to say that in a crude way. Just, he just couldn't fit through the door. To regain his freedom, all he, had to freely, all he had to do was just change his diet, lose some weight, control his appetite. But Edward knew how his older brother was. He said, he's not going to do that. And he kept on feeding him and feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. Got to the place where Raynaud got so big, even the servants of Edward said, Sir, that's cruelty to your brother. And Edward responded to his servants. He said, that's not cruelty, my brother. He can get out anytime he wants. Edward went to battle. Before he went to battle, he was told that again. He said, my brother is not a prisoner. He may leave when he so wills. Listen to that phrase. He may leave when he so wills. Edward went to battle. Edward got killed in that battle. Reynald remained in that room. Reynald became sick. He contracted all kinds of Disablements in his body, sicknesses. His health was so ruined, he died within a year of that. And the writer that wrote about the Edwards and the Reynolds wrote this, he died a prisoner of his own appetite. And concupiscence, or uncontrolled desires, make us a prisoner of our appetites. And so when you look at the word fornication that's found here, it incorpor- incorporates pornography because it's the word pornea. It incorporates deviant behavior, adultery, premarital, extramarital, whatever it may be. It incorporates all of those things. Proverbs 6, verses 23-26 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproof of the instruction are the way of life, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thy heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids, for by means of a horse woman and by is brought to a piece of bread. You're brought down to nothing. You're brought down to a crumb or morsel. And the adulterers will hunt for the precious life. Jesus went on by saying in Matthew 5, verses 27 to 28, You've heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. He's quoting the seventh commandment. But I say unto you, That whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after Has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And I could go on to this, but you know what I'm saying? There are the vulnerabilities which lead to our risks. Now ask yourself the question tonight. Where are you vulnerable? Where are you looking? How are you being enticed? Where's your weakness at? We see, we see where we're vulnerable. Would, would you notice in this passage, would you notice the violations? Notice verses 6 and 7. There's two violations I want you to see tonight. Verse 6, he says, start with verse 5. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. Would you underline that? That no man go beyond <coughs> and defraud his brother in any matter. Because if the Lord is the avenger of all such, as he, we have also have forewarned you and testified. Paul already told them this, but he's reinforcing it again. And that's kind of like preaching, I've told you before, but I've got to tell you again, amen? And Paul is saying here, would you notice that phrase, that no man should go beyond your father's brother? You know what he's saying there? Do not take advantage of other people. Do not take advantage of other people. Think of the people that are hurt, not just you. You see, nobody knows. You know, I'm going to give you an example of this in a minute. He says, no man go beyond and defraud his brother. First of all, the, the person you had sinned with, you had that affair with, you defrauded them. In the case of adultery, the spouse of the, of the person that adultery is committed to, that, that spouse, that living spouse, you defrauded them. You've defrauded your own spouse and children if you're married. You've defrauded, and go, you, you defrauded people that trusted in you, people who believed in you, that they were deceived and misled. Think about the church, the body of Christ, where your church membership is. They've been defrauded. And think with me about David tonight, David's adultery. He sinned with Bathsheba. He went and beyond and defrauded her. He went beyond and defrauded her husband. He went beyond and defrauded Ahithophel, her grandfather. That's why Ahithophel had such hatred towards David. He went beyond defrauded the wives and children that he had. He went beyond defrauded Joab and his men of war. He went beyond and defrauded the kingdom. I can go on and on and on on that. But I just say this tonight. God, God says this in verse seven, uh, verse six about this. He says that we are not to go beyond defraud our brethren anymore. Not to take advantage of other people, but especially in these areas. He says because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as such as we have forewarned you. You know, he's saying what Doctor R. G. Lee used to preach about during his lifetime. There's payday someday. So we see, number one, we see that, uh, that, that there's a matter, we, 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 we sin against our brothers in Christ. But notice the second thing. Would you go to verse 8 with me? Violation number one is against people. Violation number two is against God. When we cross the line, we go beyond those boundaries when we are not living in moral purity. Notice there, the Bible says this in verse 7. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holy, unholiness. And then he says, he therefore... He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God. You know what he's saying? You know what God's word says. You've heard it preached. You even probably memorized it. But you will be on those boundaries. You let, your, you let your emotions get in the way. You, you, let your, you let your hormones get in the way. He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God. You know, it's interesting. It, you know, we, we talk about um, the grieving of the Holy Spirit, and the resisting of the Holy Spirit. And later on, to, we'll see in this study, the quench of the Holy Spirit. But nobody ever talks about the despising of the Holy Spirit. And despising here is saying, when we get to that level, when he says, when you go outside your calling, your calling is to be uh, be holy. When you go outside that calling, you know what he's saying there? We have despised or rejected God. That's pretty strong. And so tonight as we look at this, we see that the Bible tells us that there's the rules, the will of God, our personal sanctification. The Bible tells us there are risks. Those risks are areas of vulnerability and areas of violation. But as we close tonight, would you notice the resolution? Go back with me to verse 1. By the way, I'm glad God never leaves us in a negative note. God always leads us to a higher note. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank God he loves us. Now take you back to verse 1, which continues from verse, chapter 3. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would bow more and more. Now, that's the key thought right now. The key thought is, I give you the resolutions. He says, as you have received how to bound and walk, he says, I want you to how to walk and please God, I want you to bound more and more. He's saying, don't stop at holy living. Keep on going, amen? He says, don't stop at having your devotions. Keep having devotions and more devotions. Don't stop at being at praying. Pray more. Don't stop at church, have more church. He's saying that as you've received us how to live and to please God, so you're to bow more and more. So notice with that thought in mind as we consider that in verses 3 and 4, how we're to possess our vessel sanctification and honor. How do we do that? How do we do that? How, how, do, how, what, are there some, does, how does God help us to keep those boundaries in place? And how does God help us to, to make sure that we don't slip off in the wrong place? I want to give you three words tonight. Number one, I want you to notice the first word, Refuse. Genesis nine eight Is that in your note tonight? Genesis nine eight. If not, turn your Bible to it. Notice it about Joseph. But he what? Fused. What's refuse mean? Say no. Right. Just say no. Money. Just say no. So when people come ask for money, I just say no. Amen? Yeah. When I come ask you money, you're supposed to say yes. Amen? Okay. <laughs> but he refused. And said to his master's wife. And I believe Potiphar's wife had seduced many men before him. And I believe Potiphar's wife was very attractive looking. And I believe any other man would have fell for her. Not Joseph, because God had prepared Joseph. He refused. He learned to say no. Listen, teach your boys to say no. Teach your girls to say no. It stops right here. No. But he refused and said it to his master's wife. Behold, my master, what is not what is in with me in this house? And has committed all that he has my, into my hand. You know what he's saying there? I'm not going to go beyond and defraud him. I mean, what a terrible person that you tell everybody what you are, and you live this life, and you go beyond and defraud somebody. I mean, you just lost the trust of everybody on that. Job 31.1, Job, when he was, and I want to give you the context, Job in 31.1, Job is a very miserable person where he's at physically. These boils, this excess skin condition, the pain that he felt, I mean, he describes himself, I think, I, think, I think the corruption was happening from within because he said even, he, even his breath was corrupt, he said. I mean, he was, he was rotting from the inside. He was so bad, he said, my children, my wife don't even want to be around me. Well, can I tell you this? He was a man, and as a man... He was he's starting to face to realize his wife kept a distance from him. His wife didn't want to be here. she didn't give him solace. she didn't give him comfort, and, and she didn't want to have normal relations with him. And so you get over to chapter 31, one, and he says, you know what? I, you know, he says, I'm just like every man. He says, you know, I'm I'm I feel these pressures of you know temptation coming. You know what he said? Look what he what he said in Job 31, one. This is why the Bible says he was a righteous man. It says, I made a covenant with my eyes. Now you need to make a covenant with your eyes tonight. You need to make a covenant with your eyes. A covenant is an oath you don't break. If you're breaking it, it wasn't a covenant. You're just lying to yourself. I made a cover my eyes that I should not look upon a mate. Psalms 101 verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave me. Now, you know what you need to say in your prayer time? Let me help you with this. You know what you say in your prayer time? Lord, help me to hate my sin like you hate my sin. Lord, help me to see my sin or the sin I could fall into just the same way you see it. If you can't say that, you're at risk. You're great risk. Word number two. Word number one is what? Word number one is what? Refuse. Refuse. Word number two, run. Run fast, run hard. You say, I can't run. Yes, you will. You'll run. 1 Corinthians six eighteen. You've got to read all of that. I don't have time to get into that. He says, Flee fornication. That's very simple. Run. Yep. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication, what do you sin against? Your own body. Well, then you read later on, what did you do? You just defiled the temple of God. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord of a pure heart. Joseph got up and he fled. Okay, number one, you need to refuse. Number two, you need to run. Number three, write this down, refrain. To abstain means to shun and pull away from. For singles, make a covenant with God that you'll keep yourself pure till marriage. No touching till then. Amen? Amen. Singles, the greatest gift you give to your future spouse is your body. Amen. Think about that. For marriage, <clears throat> review and renew your marriage covenant. Review and renew your marriage covenant. You commit it to one flesh with one person. That's your spouse. The daily path to victory for every one of us is walking in the Spirit. Listen to what he says there, Galatians 5, 16, to 18. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. Now, I, I went into a litany of things on Sunday night about that. You may need to go back to Sunday night message, and I'll probably refer to it again soon here. But listen, we need to focus on this walk in the Spirit. Because we're in that battle every day. He says, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Walking in Spirit involves time in God's Word and prayer. And by the way, it's, there's no problem. I, I think it's a good thing sometimes, in, in marriages. I think it's a good thing. Wives, you check up on your husband. And say, how's your walk with God? How's your praying? Now, are you praying? How's your praying? How's your Bible reading? And same men with your late with, with with your wives. And same with your children. children. And by the way, I think it's a good thing parents, sometimes kids have to check up on their parents. Amen? You know, how are you doing? Mystery tells a story down in Trinidad how Queen Elizabeth went down there to pay a visit. He was a little boy at that time, and he and his parents, he joined the hundreds and thousands of others who gathered in the streets to greet Queen Elizabeth. He had his little flag that represented the nation of Trinidad. Just like everybody else, they were standing there. And what a a wonderful thing. I mean, it was a great, just a great big event because nothing ever, exciting ever happened on Trinidad. Amen, you know, and, but man, the queen's here. Then she came with her motorcade and they're standing there with their their little flag and they're waving like this, oh, here comes the queen. And just, they felt like, oh, maybe she'll stop and look at us, a smile. And so she made her way down with her entourage First there were the soldiers and the mounted guard and the limousine she was in. And she's just sitting there waving to the crowd. You know, she's being very dignified, waving to them. And they're just feeling this elation because the queen had come by. And then after, after the whole entourage was over. And he watched as the queen drove out of town. And she was leaving out of town. Everybody kind of looked around. And you know what they did? They went back to what they, their normal things that they did. People owned a shop, went back to work in their shop. People were shopping, went back to shopping. People that were, came out of their homes and went back home. Everybody did their normal thing. And so the father turned to his son. The son's name was Tim. The missionary son, his name was Tim. And he said, Tim, what do you think? And Tim, as a little boy, made the statement. Royalty came to town and nothing changed. Royalty came to town, nothing changed. Hey, if your life is such the Holy Spirit came to your life and nothing changed, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Royalty came down. Something better change. The Holy Spirit lives in you. That's royalty, amen? That's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's not going to just pass on through. He came to dwell there and he stays there. He's the earnest of our inheritance. We're sealed with that Holy Spirit of Promise. Royalty came down. Listen, you better let royalty shine forth in your life tonight. Vessels that are holy. Vessels that are holy.